welcome to the TechLink Health Podcast, an on-demand source for the top trending healthcare topics and insights, delivered by key opinion and emerging leaders and as featured on the TechLink Health app. The healthcare industry is rapidly evolving, so our goal is to connect listeners to the most relevant insights, ranging from digital health to financial well-being to interesting side gigs. For more details, visit www.techlink.health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the TechLink Health Podcast. I'm David Sanchez-RN, and I'll be hosting this episode. Today's episode focuses on innovations happening within the respiratory health space, with a particular focus on the technologies enabling remote patient monitoring, as well as the actionable insights that can be delivered to care teams. This episode's guest is Luke Marshall, founder and CEO of VitalFlow, a predictive and preventative respiratory health company helping patients and doctors measure and track chronic respiratory health conditions over time with flexible, easy-to-use solutions, both for in-person and virtual care. By directly measuring lung function over time, VitalFlow provides detailed diagnostic reporting to support fast, accurate clinical decision-making. So it goes without saying that Luke and the VitalFlow team are innovating in a space that's been top of mind for everyone over the last couple of years, especially. And we really look forward to getting his perspectives. So without further delay, we're excited to welcome Luke to the podcast. Luke, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So to start and give our listeners some background, can you just take a moment to introduce yourself in a little more detail and tell us your journey into the respiratory health space? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have a kind of an interesting backstory because I came into the respiratory space and also kind of health tech in general a little bit through the side door. So my doctorate is in material science, which definitely has some adjacencies with health tech and that kind of thing. But I actually trained with the inventor of the lithium ion battery. Uh, Whoa. Uh, and uh, so it's a little bit, a little bit different than what you might think for, for a, a health tech entrepreneur. But um, was working with him and I got really interested in how do you get technologies that we've invested in as a country, as universities, how do you get those off the bench and into the world uh, as a product or as a service? Wow. And that's, that was really kind of my motivation. So did some kind of entrepreneurial work while I was at UT Austin in that program and then throughout my postdoc. And then we founded the company originally in Raleigh, North Carolina, the Research Triangle, where there's three kind of tier one research universities and found some really great early stage research underway with the team at UNC School of Medicine and NC State University that eventually rolled forward into what became VitalFlow today. That is really cool. So tell me a little bit more about that, the, working with the inventor of the lithium ion battery. That sounds like a, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So yeah, it was pretty <laughs> I want to know more about that. Yeah. Dr. John Goodenough was my, my supervisor and he actually just won the Nobel a couple of years ago for that work, uh, kind of hung in there. We just, uh, were down in Austin uh, a couple months ago to celebrate his uh, centennial birthday. So he, uh, he hung around long enough to to win the Nobel because I don't think you can win it posthumously, but has been just a, a stellar mentor and obviously world-class researcher for basically two careers worth of time because <laughs> he's still uh, still kicking. But that was, a, that was a lot of fun. Wow, that's really cool. So I'm just curious, you said you came in the side door, so not having a directly health-related background, how did you decide to work with lung-related technology? Well, it was really in that kind of commercialization focus that I had. So how do you get these projects off the bench and into the real world? So I followed my wife to the research triangle. She was doing her residency at UNC for orthodontics, but I had 
had some experience kind of working from the inside of the university ecosystem, pushing tech out in a commercialization path and took the opportunity to kind of flip the script and help pull it out from the outside. And some of the early work that um, we collaborated with was some research by Dr. Dave Peden and Dr. Michelle Hernandez at UNC School of Medicine, who are very well known in the allergy and asthma space. And we helped take some relatively nascent technology out of NC State and UNC School of Medicine, spun those research projects up into what eventually became Vital Flow. And obviously there's some changes along the way in that journey, but that's led us to partner with a lot of world-class researchers to power their studies, doing remote studies instead of in-person studies, which obviously became hugely relevant in 2020 when a lot of that research would have had to shut down if they weren't able to pivot to doing remote research. Wow. That's really cool. That's amazing. Thanks. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It sounds like an adventure. Certainly that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a few more questions about that because that's really interesting, just how things can change over time and morph according to what the what consumers need or what the industry needs. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's been an interesting progression. I mean, I gravitated towards the the project that came vital flow because of a family history with respiratory disease. But I was coming at it from very much a technologist background. Grew up in a medical household. My dad is a retired emergency medicine doctor. So I at least had some sort of passing knowledge. But I think one of the big advantages of coming in, you know, sort of through that side door into a field is it can be both an advantage and a disadvantage depending on how fast you learn. <laughs> but being the sort of the dumbest person in the room and asking the sometimes the obvious question that a lot of folks who've been in the industry for a while might not think to ask, which is essentially, why are we doing it this way? Good point. And there's a lot of questions around that for respiratory disease that really inspired what became Vital Flow over the course of our uh, few year history. That's cool. That's really cool. I'm going to ask a couple more questions and I want to come back to some of those questions that you were asking to really explore this and, and develop the solutions. So there's quite a few different topics that are at the core of TechLink Health. One is the ability for consumers to connect with experts and technologies to help them meet their health and wellness goals. Another one is providing the same level of connectivity among practitioners and companies. With regards to vital flow, walk us through the journeys and the benefits for healthcare providers and organizations. Yeah, so just to, to back up and give a brief overview of kind of what we do, you obviously introduced us at the top, but at our core with respiratory monitoring and really focusing in on chronic respiratory diseases like asthma and COPD, kind of the true north vital sign or metric or measurement for that category of diseases is spirometry or pulmonary function testing. And this is for folks that aren't familiar with uh, spirometry. Uh, you may have seen an astronaut training sequence movie montage at some point where they blow into the tube and they make the ping pong ball float. That is basically what the test is. So it's a, it's a very big, deep inhale and a hard forceful exhale through the spirometer. And from that, we can back calculate a lot of useful metrics for how your lungs are doing, if there's any obstruction, any inflammation in the airway. And it's basically the diagnostic test to definitively determine whether or not somebody has asthma or COPD or what subtype. So with that kind of baseline, we effectively have been focusing on building out a platform that makes spirometry testing easier to do in more places and more consistently. Because we have a history of basically treating spirometry, we kind of make the, the perfect enemy of the good with a lot of the way that we approach this particular test. And what I mean by that is it tends to be pretty much locked up in the pulmonary labs. So that most of the testing done is 
in the pulmonary labs, and especially now in the wake of COVID, those pulmonary labs across the country have a four to six month backlog. Holy cow. And that, yeah, that really slows things down if you're trying to figure out what's going on with the patient in front of you. And especially now that we have kind of a whole new category of potentially chronic long-term respiratory issues with long-haul COVID, as we start to learn more and more about that, those backlogs are only going to get worse and harder to manage. So we take a software and data first approach. We integrate with a few different um, spirometry devices, but really focus in on how do we make the workflow for our clinical teams faster, easier? Uh, How do we make it simpler to do this test that traditionally has been kind of stuck with the specialists? And that's not a knock on the specialists. When they do the test, they're doing a much more robust, kind of fully featured test, but you don't need that for kind of day-to-day monitoring. So we tried to make that day-to-day monitoring test more valuable and easier to perform for both the patients doing it directly, as well as uh, the care teams doing it in the clinic. That's cool. That's really cool. Making it easier. Are there specific consumer use cases as a general wellness device, as opposed to purely a clinical application? There can be. And actually, uh, as a longtime kind of cyclist and runner, one of my first thoughts kind of getting into this space was, hey, like, could we monitor lung function for cyclists over time and see if they could do kind of almost like a Fitbit, but for your lungs, right? One of the interesting things about spirometry specifically is it's really at its core measuring different types of lung volumes. (laughs) Uh, so that's, it's basically like, what's the accessible airway, which is why you can figure out if somebody's inflamed, like in the case of asthma, but in general, if you're thinking about lung volume, that doesn't really change much if you are in a healthy state. So unless you're going to go from me being, you know, relatively, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and not quite in the shape I was in, in college. If I went from me to maybe, you know, a juiced up Lance Armstrong in his prime, (laughs) Um, maybe yeah. you detect a change in my in my uh, accessible lung volume, uh, but for most folks, you know, physical exercise that kind of thing isn't going to change things. You're you're kind of set based on your height and your weight and your stature. And what we're really looking for is outside factors that can change your accessible lung volume due to obstructions or due to inflammation. So for like a Fitbit application, it's a little bit less of a of a solid fit. But it is very useful for monitoring folks with chronic respiratory diseases like asthma and COPD, and we can do that in the home or with their primary care physician. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So how has the current pandemic impacted our view of respiratory wellness and how will this change in the future? Yeah, it's been very interesting. I mean, there's a couple big changes that you know COVID brought forward in a big way. One obviously has been discussed a lot, which is a shift toward telehealth and remote and virtual care type of solutions. As things have opened back up, obviously we've rebounded a little bit or finding a new balance, but that new balance, much like, you know, work and coordination for those kinds of things, the new balance really feels like it's going to be some sort of hybrid for the procedures you need to do in person. You do those in person for the ones you have the flexibility to do at home. You do them at home. And overall, that should introduce some more efficiencies and easier access and more access to care for folks who might have trouble getting to the clinic on a given day. So that obviously was a huge accelerant. And for a platform like ours that works both in clinic and with the patients in their homes, that obviously was an accelerant. I think for us, the biggest thing that we saw right away was all of the clinical research that immediately had to pivot into something else. So we've been working with UNC School of Medicine, Duke Medicine, the CDC, the NIH, now Stanford and UT Austin, helping power some of these studies. And several of those were underway before COVID uh, started. And all of a sudden, and, you know, it turns out that 
exhaling hard in front of people during a respiratory pandemic might not be a great idea uh, all the time, especially at the height of it, yeah. while we we're figuring it out. So in the early days of, of COVID, spirometry became considered a high-risk procedure. Definitely. And because of that, all of these respiratory studies basically got shut down, at least in person. But if we could help them move that study framework into a remote setting, then they were able to continue. So that was a, actually a big driver for us in 2020 and 2021 was helping these studies adjust their protocols and moving them into kind of a distributed remote first style of protocol. And then we took all those learnings and really perfected the technology with those early adopters. And we've been able to move into the clinical setting, both in clinic as well as for virtual care, uh, kind of in the last year or so. That's great. Yeah. I worked in the emergency department during a decent amount of the pandemic, actually, as a nurse. And I remember when people had to use the incentive spirometer, it was like, get out of the room. Don't be in there because those particles are moving too fast. You know, that increases your chance of getting infected, whether they cough or use the incentive spirometer. And then nobody could get any pulmonary function testing if they're a COPD patient or chronic bronchitis patient. It just wasn't available just because of all the risks involved, at least from the hospital setting I was working at at the time. But man, when they started rolling out some technologies like patient follow-up or, you know, remote monitoring that really helped a lot because we felt safer and freed up a lot of beds. That was the main thing for us. Freed up beds when people were safe to go home and continue being monitored while we were taking care of the more acute patients. So yeah, that's great. That's incredible. It's a game changer when we're able to do that. So that's exciting that you're doing that. So there's another topic we've discussed on the podcast is the theme around interoperability and the ability to create meaningful insights around all the data that's being collected via emerging technologies. So tell us your thoughts on interoperability and any specific use cases focused on respiratory devices. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge, um, it's both a huge opportunity and a huge barrier currently as we start to move through getting some of these technologies integrated. I think some of the existing gatekeepers, so to speak, theoretically are leaning into interoperability and hopefully they'll continue to lean in more as we go. But we have so many legacy systems in healthcare that that can just be slow moving as we start to modernize everything. But I do think there's a huge opportunity to improve care by pulling in these types of data sets that are highly relevant to clinical care, but maybe aren't currently reimbursable or currently pulled into some of the care plans. And just as one example of that, everybody has known for a very long time that there's a huge intersection between allergy and asthma. That's why there's allergy and asthma clinics across the country. And part of that's because allergies be can cause inflammation that can aggravate your asthma and create the opportunities, if not addressed, for exacerbations or asthma attacks. And there's similar things that are true for COPD and other chronic respiratory diseases. So one of the natural follow-up questions to that is, why aren't we monitoring the pollen levels and the particulate matter in the air for those patients? And why is that not tied into the clinical record. One reason is because it's challenging and, and it's also hard to reimburse for that type of data while we're building out some of those case studies. But that's something that's always been core to our mission and part of how we try to approach data is the more we can get our hands on that is relevant. And if we can start to validate how that ties into changes that we might want to make to a patient's care plan, then that is worth pursuing and worth studying. So we actually pull in particulate matter, three different types of pollen, and a few other air quality data sets into our platform and incorporate that alongside with, in particular, remote monitoring because it's, it's more of a longitudinal kind of patient study. And right now we pull in that data primarily with our research partners. So for example, we're actually doing a wildfire study with Stanford University right now, and we're going to launch a similar type of protocol with another university in the Midwest. We're kind of in the mountain region. 
to look at the impacts of particulate matter on folks with chronic respiratory disease, uh, which is one of those things that there's a clear, obvious connection to everybody, but how do you pull that into the care plan and make it meaningful in a way that you can actually proactively and preventatively address some of these concerns for folks? And obviously in the West, that's wildfires is going to be a huge thing for years to come. And the rest of the country, pollen counts are going kind of through the roof with some of the macro global weather trends and that kind of thing. So figuring out how to pull those pieces and those different types of data into modern care, I think is going to be a big part of the future. And figuring out how to make those data sets talk nicely with the existing data sets, you know, that's where it circles back to interoperability. And now how do we use this proactively for our patients? Wow, that's really interesting because that's something that we all know is connected. We all know that that's an issue. Allergens triggering asthma, that's, that's really big. So where do you measure the data from? Is it from the, the local setting, the clinical setting, or where the person lives, or just in that city, in that area in general? Yeah, for this particular area, what we kind of self-addressed as a company is we are experts at monitoring respiratory outcomes. We're not necessarily weather people ourselves. <laughs> um, but the good news is, harkening back to interoperability, is most of the folks who are weather and air experts have built everything API first. So as you start to build more modern data systems, you can integrate with them. So we have some great data partners. We're actually currently partnered with a company called Ambi, which does very localized monitoring and they interpolate some data because obviously you can only measure the data where there is a weather sensor. But if you have some sophisticated weather algorithms, you can basically figure out that if I'm measuring this pollen count at this location and the wind is blowing west, then I I should expect this pollen count at some distance to the west of that weather station. So they can do some of that math on our behalf and we consume that data and see how relevant it is to our respiratory outcomes. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's cool. So what are your views on how respiratory wellness devices can potentially integrate with other wearable and Internet of Health Things devices? I think this is kind of the big, the big key. So we've been very focused on staying vertical and respiratory, in part because spirometry has its own kind of nuance to get good data and that kind of thing. And also in part because there's a whole lot of other players out there that are getting very good at their specific thing as well. But when you kind of play the tape forward, the end point is to say, hey, can I monitor you know, myself or my patients kind of across every possible modality? Because somebody who has asthma is also at an elevated risk of having hypertension or a different comorbidity. So we should be looking at all these as a holistic picture for that particular individual. And the more we can play nicely with those other data sets, I think the better it will be for the providers, assuming we can make it accessible and simple enough to use, which I think is one of the big keys with all of this rush of data. You know, there's 10,000 different wearable devices out there. And how do you know which ones have good data? How, how many of them do you trust? I think that's something that we're going to shake out over the next decade or so. And there will start to be best in breed companies and products kind of across all these different modalities. But as we start to pull them together, I think we're going to have some really interesting data insights that we can pull out of those of those devices that are kind of working together in concert. Cool. So tell me a little bit more about your devices. How do they work? How does it make things easier? Yeah, so we integrate with a couple different partners. So we don't make our own hardware systems. We're very focused on being the basically the user interface from a software and data perspective. We have a couple of different devices that integrate with our mobile application over Bluetooth. And these basically are effectively, you know, circuit boards with really highly accurate measurements of flow rate. 
in the mouthpiece, you'd have a, a rotor-based system, which has static turbines, spins a, little, um, spins a little rotor, and there's optical sensors that are looking at the RPM and the flow rate of that rotor to very accurately back-calculate the flow rate that you just blew through the device. And that allows us to then back-calculate all of the metrics for spirometry. That sounds a lot more accurate than the ones we use in the hospital setting usually. Well, actually, that's an interesting point of potentially contention. I think you'd see a lot of pulmonologists argue that the devices you have in the clinic are most likely today mnemonic devices, which means that they are pressure-based sensors. Those can be incredibly highly accurate if they are calibrated. <laughs> and one of the big problems is, especially in a primary care setting, pressure changes with temperature and humidity. And guess what else changes with temperature and humidity? The air. <laughs> <laughs> so just like your environment day to day will change based on the weather, which means you have to calibrate these devices every day you do a test to accommodate for the fact that the weather is different today than it was yesterday. And if you don't, it's not going to be accurate. Now that's fine if you're a pulmonary function lab and you're doing 60 of these tests in a day. So spending 20 minutes of time calibrating it in the morning is a useful endeavor. But if you're a primary care office, or you're taking a device home, spending 20 minutes of time to calibrate one device to do one or two tests that day just doesn't make economic sense. And so this is one of the areas where focusing on clinical workflow kind of brings some natural conclusions as to what devices make sense for what settings. And I'd argue that for primary care, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a mnemonic device because it's just going to slow everybody down and slow down that workflow to a point where you just stop doing the test. And we've actually had a lot of folks join our platform because they have a spirometer already, but it's four years old and they haven't used it in three years because no one remembers how to calibrate it. And because of that, it's not accurate anymore. So if they can have a device, you just pick it up and it works right away and you're ready to go. And it's got a nice clean user interface that guides you through how to do the test, which is the part that we built that can be really helpful. Okay, great. So then what's the type of person that would be benefited by your technology as compared to just going to your typical pharmacy and grabbing a disposable? Yeah, great question. I think the standard for at-home monitoring for respiratory disease has really been kind of one of two not great options previously. The first of those is what's called a peak flow meter, which actually looks a lot like some of the spirometers that we have, except that it measures a lot less data. So it's less useful diagnostically for the physician who's overseeing that care. It can be a little bit useful for self-administering. So just, you know, seeing if I'm an asthmatic and I have a peak flow meter and I'm using it every day to kind of see if I have any trends going on, that can be a little bit useful. Mostly it's useful as a reminder to take my controller medications. But even if I collected all that data and gave it to the doctor, they're going to glance at it and they're not really going to think twice about using it in a diagnostic workup. Whereas full spirometry, they will. The other device that's frequently used for respiratory monitoring is pulse oximetry, which obviously O2SAT matters a lot. And that's been particularly helpful for folks with uh, COVID, trying to see how they're doing, if a more aggressive intervention is necessary. For your average asthmatic or uh, person with COPD, however, it's useful, but again, it's not helpful in terms of what's the next step for the doctor to take. It's mostly useful for self-administering and, and that can be valuable. You know, if you're a COPD patient who has oxygen supplementation, using a pulse ox is a great indicator for whether or not you need to use the oxygen again. It's um, not the whole picture though. It, exactly. It's not the whole picture and it's not going to help your doctor decide if you're on the right medication necessarily, where the full spirometry will. And so that's the advantage of taking a kind of a, a beefier, <laughs> uh, so to speak, beefier data set driving device home with you if you are a chronic respiratory patient. All right. Well, that helps. Helps me to understand it more. That's super helpful information. 
So I understand you're running a WeFunder campaign. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, yeah. Pretty exciting. So we're a startup. And so occasionally we raise money to fund our efforts as we work toward growing and becoming a, a bigger company. And in this most recent campaign, we have been raising from venture capitalists as well as angel investors. But we had interest from a variety of stakeholders in our community, both from patients and some of our customers and folks that are interested in participating in the growth of the company in a more direct way. So we saw that as a great opportunity to put a small portion of our current fundraise and investment fundraise onto a crowdfunding platform. So we currently have a campaign that's live at uh, wefunder.com forward slash vitalflowhealth. Vitalflow is spelled without a W, by the way. We're one of those cutesy startup names. But uh, yeah, if anybody's interested in taking a look at that and potentially participating in the future of respiratory healthcare, we have the ability to invest in the company and participate in any upside that we're able to generate over the next several years. So Luke, I'm wondering, is there any research or any publications or articles anywhere where we can learn more about your products or just the way VitalFlow works? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple places I'd point to. One of our clinical advisors is Carl Motram, who literally wrote the book on how to do pulmonary function testing. So anybody who is interested in bringing pulmonary function testing into their primary care clinic, he wrote the last three editions of the Bible on how to do pulmonary function testing, which is RuPaul's manual. And I can provide a link so that you guys can throw in the show notes and, and that kind of thing. We also have some upcoming abstracts and presentations from some research that we've done with our collaborators. One of those will be at the upcoming ACAAI conference, and that is in partnership with Allergy and Asthma Network. And they have done some great work validating their coaching protocol for at-home asthma monitoring. And they did this all through the Not One More Life campaign. I believe it was sponsored by Sanofi, but they go as a health disparities intervention. They've gone to cities like Atlanta, Oakland, Detroit. I believe Chicago is coming up soon, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And they have some great results on the impacts of their coaching model on improving long-term outcomes for respiratory disease that they were able to show those impacts by leveraging VitalFlow's uh, remote monitoring technology. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're headed to ACAAI later this year, then that would be a great abstract to, to sit in on. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So in closing, any final advice for consumers interested in respiratory wellness and also practitioners that want to stay connected to emerging innovations within the space? Yeah, I would say for consumers that are for good reason right now in the macro environment, getting more and more interested in respiratory health, I'd say, generally speaking, your day-to-day -day connection with the health system is going to probably be through your primary care physician. And so one of the questions to ask is, does my primary care physician have the ability to really look at my respiratory health? A lot of primary care docs refer out for a procedure like spirometry. And like we're talking about at the top, there's a huge backlog to get into the pulmonary function labs to see how you're doing. So if that's an area of concern for you, it's worth bringing up to your primary care doctor and saying, hey, there might be some other options that didn't used to be available that are now on the market that would allow you as the primary care doc and your staff to bring this in-house and do this test a little bit easier. VitalFlow is one of those solutions, but obviously there's probably some other ones on the market that they could look around at as well. And also, if you're curious about your own, your own health and how that's trending over time, the option to take these devices home is one that's relatively unique and one that's also worth talking to your primary care doctor about and finding a way to coordinate with them where they can see the data, they can make updates to your care plan, 
in partnership with you to reach better health and have fewer symptoms and more symptom-free days and you know keep you out of the ER, keep you out of the hospital. That's always a plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best way for a pulmonologist or a primary care doctor to get hold of you to learn more about this? Uh, well, they're certainly welcome to email me. My email is luke at vitalflowhealth.com. We also have our website at that same domain, vitalflowhealth.com. And I think that's probably the, the easiest way from the social platforms are probably the most active on LinkedIn. But yeah, looking forward to hear, hearing from anybody who's interested in getting some simpler, easier to use solutions for their respiratory health platform. Well, great. Thank you so much, Luke. Thanks for joining us at TechLink Health. This has been really fun. Thanks so much for having me, David. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode. TechLink Health is a healthcare advisory platform for consumers and organizations to stay informed with the latest insights while connecting with healthcare experts for telehealth, e-consults, and consulting services. For more details, visit www.techlink.health.